Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and I've got a great show for you, as always, uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central right here on blogtalkradio.com's Golf Talk Live. And for those of you, of course, on the East Coast, uh, it's now 7 o'clock. I don't want to forget you guys, and 4 o'clock for those of you out in Pacific time. Um, But thank you for joining the show. We've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, Very special Coach's Corner segment uh, with just actually one coach and myself. Uh, Mr. Clint Wright's going to be joining me here uh, momentarily. And then a little bit later in the show, uh, I'm going to be joined by a special guest. Uh, He's a golf fitness instructor and fitness for the over 50 crowd. He's an authority in in that uh, particular area of expertise. Uh, Mr. Brett Cohen is going to be joining me here uh, in the second hour. Um, But the first hour, it's going to be Clint and I. We're going to talk on Coach's Corner uh, about a number of different things, but uh, we'll stay tuned for just a, a moment or two, and let me just read out a few things, and then we'll get right into some conversation. Um, as I said, uh, every Thursday is from 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, go up in the search key, type Golf Talk Live, and that will bring you to the main page, and we're live, as I said, every Thursday evening. Uh, if you want to speak or call into the guests at any time during the live uh, broadcast on Thursdays, you can do so by calling area code 646 646- 716 a lot of sixes in that number, uh, or you can email uh, questions to uh, me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and you can also get me at that email if you're uh, in the golf profession, you want to come on the show and share some of your expertise or thoughts or opinions, uh, always uh, welcome to do so. And uh, also, I update uh, every week on social media, uh, both of the shows, Golf Talk Live and the Women of Golf Show that airs uh, Tuesday mornings. Uh, on blogtalkradio.com update them on facebook and also on twitter so you can get them there Uh, my twitter handle of course is ted and buck ceo ceo being in capital letters Uh, as i said my my guest this morning this evening here's my first guest on coach's corner on the panel discussion tonight is mr clint wright and clint's uh, been on here many many times uh over the years since i've been doing this show uh, he's a 30-year actually a 35-year uh, member of the pga he's a partner at the tgm golf and a big proponent of the R3 approach, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Uh, and one of my favorite guests, that uh, we always have a lot of laughs on the show, and occasionally when he bothers me a little bit, I throw him under the bus. So anyways, without further ado, let me bring on my very special guest on Coach's Corner uh, tonight, Clint Wright. Clint, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. I got, I've got all the grease oh. off my back to where the bus hit me, so I'll be okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. We, we may back it up a few times on you tonight, but <laughs> okay. we'll see how it goes. Um, we'll be fine. I, I, I want to start off just very uh, briefly, and, and as I mentioned to you off air, uh, I think we would be remiss, Clint, if we, we, we didn't certainly pay respects to uh, a true legend of the game that, that, of course, just passed here uh, just a few days ago. And, of course, I'm talking about the legendary uh, Arnold Palmer, who, who really meant so much to so many people. And uh, not just in the golf industry, but even outside of the golf industry. He was just a, a great man, just a great gentleman. 
and uh, just so many wonderful stories that I've been reading about over the last uh, week or so uh, since this happened. Actually, I guess it's been a few days, but uh, it, it seems like it was a lifetime ago. But um, what are some of your fond memories uh, growing up and, and here lately uh, of Arnold Palmer? Well, you know, there's all kind of memories, but you know, not to not to uh, joke about it. But during his prime in the early '60s, I was still a young, you know, young kid. Um, but he was my dad's favorite player, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so you watched him play, and you tried to to be the Charger. You know, if you were out there playing, you always knew if you if my dad like you got to be like Palmer if you if you're behind you got to win anyway right. you got to come from behind that charging attitude and you know when i was playing a lot of golf i always played late in the round better than i did in the beginning of the round and i always yeah. kind of think that that may have been part of it but the most important thing i think is that the the local golf professional where we were at palmer brought golf into a fact that it could be a business yep you know, it could grow that way. And as a young golfer and a junior watching this guy, he instilled into us, a lot of us, several PJ golf professionals were there in our early years, that you actually could make a living doing this and propelled us into thinking, hey, this is what I want to do. I, want to, I don't necessarily want to play the tour. I want to be in the golf business because Palmer showed us how you could make money being a golfer. Right. And and I think right. that's the legacy that he has. I never met him, but I did have an opportunity of being here at Clemson, near Clemson. His grandson, Sam Saunders, played at Clemson. And hmm. I did meet Sam a couple of times. And based on Sam's integrity and in class, you know where his grandfather was at. Right. You, you know, because Sam was a classy kid. Yeah, and I I concur with with everything that you said. You know, I think one of the things that that really struck me about Arnold Palmer, and I and I compare it to today's golfer. And again, this is you know no disrespect to anybody that's that's out on tour today, but he was very approachable. Um, it didn't matter where he was or what he was doing. Um, you know, he would he would literally look you right in the eye, and you felt like you. Um, we're having a, a one-on-one conversation. You know, when he would walk along the galleries, uh, you know, particularly in his earlier days um, when he was a little bit younger on tour and that, you know, he would literally look you in the eye. He would shake your hand. Uh, I, I, as you have never met him personally, but just all of the stories that I've heard over the last few days and over the years, really, um, he, he was certainly, you know, I, I've always been a huge, huge fan, of course, of Jack Nicholas. Um, but I think Arnold Palmer just uh, appealed to uh, an entirely different segment of the population that a lot of golfers, particularly in that era, didn't really uh, capture. They didn't really sort of um, fit that mold. And I think that's why, you know, hence Arnie's army, that's why he had so many people, especially a lot of blue collar workers that really, you know, for a long time didn't really gravitate to golf, but now they had a reason to. Uh, And also, of course, he was instrumental in in bringing golf to uh, uh, to the big screen on television. I mean, he was uh, a huge, uh, you know, you know, factor to that. So, and then of course, uh, with the birth of the golf channel, um, you know, so there's just so many great memories in that. And it's truly sad, um, you know, that, that we're, we're not going to have him, uh, you know, but I think he, he has given so many great memories over the year 
uh, that his legacy will, will certainly live on. And you're right. You know, I think anybody that's been touched by him, um, whether it be his grandson or, or others that have been close enough to him, they've all had some very similar stories of how he has really inspired them, not just to play great golf, but how to really um, turn their golf business, um, you know, in, into what it is today. And, and it's because of Arnold Palmer. He, just a great man and, and certainly sad to see him go, but I'm, I'm glad that he did have a full, uh, rich life. And, and um, I'm, I'm very honored to uh, be in the same community, if you will, as Arna Palmer. Well, absolutely. All right. So, Clint, let's uh, let's uh, get on to uh, to the Coach's sure. Corner segment here. We're, we're going to talk about um, R3 a little bit. But uh, first off, explain what R3 is. Uh, for those that maybe well, don't are, know, yeah, R three is a a wide variety of, of aspects of the game that Mike Lawrence and Todd Ellison and I, you know, Mike particularly has had a lot of influence on developing the the entire program. But it really comes down in what we use in our, and this is part of the thing that we we get to, is that we use what's called the the game puzzle, the improvement mm-hmm. puzzle, and it's a lot of parts. We we take our students and we analyze their game through the puzzle. Right. And okay, and and in this puzzle you have on one corner you got what the club is doing. Are you maintaining the right. angle or thing? In the bottom left hand corner is about what's your body doing. Mm-hmm. The bottom right hand corner and these pieces that all tie together is about tactical. And in the top left hand corner is kind of we need that's where we play golf. How do right. we get to that that fluid motion on the golf course? Okay, so what we try to do, and and we do this kind of subtly, not not very overtly, I guess, is that we try to analyze all of our players through that puzzle and then prove to them that hey, this is a, what you're doing with the golf club is okay. It meets all the fundamental requirements. You know, you right. maintain the angle, club stand on plane. These things are important. Then we can move on and get the buy-in from the student. Well, let's see what your body's doing. Well, are we staying tilted? Are we moving through? Are we hitting off our back foot? What are we doing? Well, if all of those things are okay, maybe at this particular time, we need to then convince our student, hey, let's go down here to tactical and let's see how we're, pl- how we're going about playing that's not getting right. us into that fluid motion. Okay? So that's kind of what the R3 is about. We work through that puzzle. In each one of those segments, there's 16, 17 different segments, have explanations built into the R3 approach that here's how you need to solve it, solve these things. So where I live is down in that technical strategy area with the third mm-hmm. shot. So what we, we debate about a lot is when do we get to that person and say, okay, this is, this is good enough, let's talk about how to play. And right. here's the thing I, I think that – you know, I, I give these talks and clinks to a lot of people, and we don't want to ruffle a bunch of feathers here, but it, it comes down to why aren't we, our scores anyway, getting better? I mean, you know you know what the, the objective of the game is, right? The sure. objective of the game is to put the ball in a hole, period. Right, right. You hit a ball in succession of strokes in accordance with the rules until it's whole. That's rule number one in the rule book. So the objective is to hold the ball. Rule two and three, rule two and three, deal with who wins the match. Right. It has nothing to do with the objectives. Okay. So what we've got to 
figure out is why our students' scores coming down. Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but but the the one thing I get too is I think that we as instructors and also as players we get trapped into identifying the wrong things to be working on in order to improve our score. Now, if you want to just go out and watch it fly and feel it fly off the club face and go as far as it can, wide, right, or left, that's fine. Just don't keep score. If that's right. what you want to play for, that's okay with me. But if you want to figure out how lower your score has to be, you've got to figure out how to play. And this is one of the things, you know, You know, golf is not the golf course. <clears throat> Golf is not how you swing. If you really get down to it, the game of golf is how you use your swing. Right. And that's what we miss. We're not teaching, nor do I believe our student is willing to go there. Because we all get trapped in this, we've got to hit it better, because what we see on television and all this kind of stuff. So we get trapped into thinking, if I can hit it better, I'll score better. But that's... Right. can't be true because you know as well as I do, there's there's 14 moves to better golf. If you drink this, you play better. If you do this, all the games. Right. Okay? But, right. you know, I'm like here, not ruffling feathers, but there's there's a thousand books on how to hit it better, chip it better, putt it better, mental game. There's all kind of information out there you can get. So this, the R3, well, the R3 is a little bit, but the third shot is not about additional information. This is about you taking an honest look at how you play the game and how you can go about improving your score. And in my opinion, most people never get to a point to where they're comfortable or accept the fact that they're actually striking the ball well enough to score better than their score. They get trapped right. into thinking if they could hit more fairways. Well, if you hit if you hit eight or nine fairways in a round, how much time you want to spend on hitting two more? Yeah. If you hit well, six or seven greens around, how much time you want to spend on hitting two more? Okay, so it comes down to that. So I think the problem that we see, it is part of our industry, and I'm like I said, I'm including myself in this. We've been training right. hitters for years and not training players. And we need to start getting with our students and convincing them that they're striking the ball well enough. We don't want to ignore the fact you can't roll it on the ground. You've got to hit it up in the air. You've got to move it down range. Mm-hmm. But we have to get people thinking about if you want to lower your score, it's all about doing something better. It's not about chipping better. It's not about putting better. It's just about how you intend to, to play. And it's the what and the how type of issue. You know, what are you working on? And how are you going to go about doing it? And I really feel like that in many cases, our students are working on the wrong what. They're they're yeah. they're wasting a lot of time. You know, <laughs> I asked you off the air a minute ago, and this is something we we talk about all the time in our clinics. And the way I started out is that how do you shoot a hundred and eight? Well, nobody really right. ever Which, knows, but you know, it it's all sixes. Yeah. Well, if you want to shoot 90, that's all five. So what's the most important shot for you to be really good at to shoot all fives versus all sixes? And the answer is the third shot, no matter what club you're hitting it with. You know, mm-hmm. wedge, putter, seven wood, hybrid, you need to be good with that club. Now, right. people get look at it and say, well, you're crazy. I say, all right, well, let's analyze the best players in the world for a minute. 
I have a friend of mine that works with some tour players on level different level tours. When they mm-hmm. call in from a, a tournament site, you know all he wants to know? He wants to know mm-hmm. how many fives they made today. Now, why would he ask them how many fives they made? Well, he's identifying if they're making fives, they're not hitting their third shot very well. Right. Because they're not getting it up and down on the par fours when they miss the green, and they're not getting it close enough to the hole on the par fives to make a birdie putt. And yeah, if you and, and look that's... at the... it's real simple. You know, you know as well as I do, is that the way that people on tour make a living is, and you can look at all the stats in the world, and they're all about the same, whether it be LPGA or PGA Tour. They play the par threes about 3.1 or 3.2 over par. They play the far fours about 4.1, 4.2 over par, and they play the par fives at about 4.7, 4.8. So they make a living on the par fives. They're going to make enough birdies. But the most important shot for them to do is not to give it back. Right. They don't give the birdie back. Well, where's their exposure the most to not give the birdie back? Well, their exposure the most are on par fours. So they're getting the ball up and in with the third shot to protect the birdies they're going to make. So that's why he wants to know, well, how many fives did you make? Because that's an indication of how well they're hitting their third shot. And yeah. if, you know, Clint, you, if you look at the score, third shot on a par three, putt for par. Third shot right. on a par four, the putt for birdie, or most importantly, the chip not to give a birdie back. And the third shot mm-hmm. on a par five for the tour player is a shot maybe for eagle, but also most important, they get it inside that almost make range, 100%, they have a great chance of making birdie. Third yeah, shot. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. You know, uh, I just want to back up just for one quick second before we continue on. You know, you raised some very interesting points. And, and again, we're, we're not here to, to, you know, discredit anybody out there that has their own no, method of, of, of teaching and things like that. But but there has been for a long time now uh, a focus on hitting, you know, getting everybody to hit the, you know, the perfect shot. And, and I've been a little critical of that as well on, on this show a number of times because I think that there's such an emphasis on, you know, making almost a machine, uh, uh, you know, a player out of a machine. And, you know, all of this technology and that, that, that we're using today, uh, or many of them are using today is great. Uh, it, it certainly uh, can help oh, to yeah. analyze certain things. But at the same time, um, you know, you're, you're exactly right. What are we focusing on? If we're focusing on, you know, what, what they're doing on the range all the time and not what they're doing out on the golf course and, and how they're, uh, um, you know, actually playing the game. And from a tactical standpoint, uh, you can be the best ball striker in the world. And, and, you know, since you mentioned the tours, if you look at over the years, not so much in today's uh, LPGA or PGA or, or uh, some of the, the lead-up tours, but if you look at the tour players today, um, if you didn't know who they were, they're very similar in their ball striking abilities and their, uh, and the looks of their swing and so forth. Everybody's sort of got the same type of swing, uh, with a few exceptions. But right. if you look at, uh, players during Arnold Palmer, Nicholas, uh, Gary player during that era, they were very different looking. Um, they all, you know, impacted everything was pretty much the same, but how they got to impact. And even in their follow throughs, as Arnie was famous for with mm-hmm. it, um, you know, they were all different. So if, if they didn't have what you would call the pitcher perfect swing by today's standards, 
then there must have been something else that they were doing um, in order to capture those wins and, and to capture the abilities that they did. And this really goes to what you're talking about is they were not necessarily the best ball strikers on tour, but from a tactical standpoint, they knew how to play the game and they knew where their shots counted. And that's what they focused on. And, you know, well, Billy Casper in, in our era, you saw the combination of just what you described with the combination of the modern player. His name's Tiger mm-hmm. Woods. And mm-hmm. when he was on in his heyday before his problems, okay, is that he put that imaginative playing ability along with modern ball striking, and it was absolutely untouchable. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I always ask people in these clinics, do you want to play or score like Jason Day? Mm-hmm. And everybody says, yeah. I said, well, do you know how he plays and scores? Or are you really wanting me to tell you you want to hit it like he does? Right. <laughs> they don't have a clue how these people play. All they see is they hit it, and all they talk about on the newscast is, look how far he hit that 9-iron, 185-yard 9-iron, you know? <laughs> look how far he hit it. You know, it don't make a bit of difference that he missed the green 20 yards with it. No. You know, or whatever. And he got the ball up and down. And what I try to tell people is that you don't – you know the people that people see play on Sunday are the people that are playing the best that week. They don't see the guy that mm-hmm. teed it up at 8 o'clock in the morning that's this missing seven greens and shooting 70. Right. They don't see that. And I think that, you know, that we as guy professionals – need to begin to lead not and we're not talking about what your philosophy on how to chip a ball or pitch a ball or make Mm -hmm. a full swing with a driver that's not my point the point is is we need to start getting our students to come to us and say here's what i want to do i want to achieve this i want to lower my score and we have to as instructors lead them out of that trap of thinking if they can hit it better they'll score better we right. have to help them hit it better, but we got to lead them out of that trap, and it's tricky business. Yeah, it's tricky it is. business to lead them out of that trap, and um, because we want to give them what they want, you know. Um, but well, so and this it goes is, to really right. This go goes ahead. to what we we've, we've talked about before on the show. You know, everybody's coming in and saying, "Well, you know, I'm I'm still shooting a hundred, and I can't seem to break a hundred, and I don't know what to do," and those that do put in some time and dedication are, as you said, spending time out in the range, hitting ball after ball, trying to improve their golf swing. And really that's not, um, that's not where it's at. What you know, as no, well as exactly. I do and Yeah. And every guy professional in America knows that if you took your hundred student and you caddied for them and all they did was hit the club, you handed them, they most likely would break 90. Right. Because you're going to help them play that round of golf right. the way they can play. Like instead of hitting a driver 40 yards off line, here's your three wood. Bump it down the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's bump it again. Can I, I work with lady a lot of lady players through the years. They can't get to the green in three or four. Some of them can't hit it far enough. Well, right. then let's bump it. Let's bump it and learn how to pitch and putt. Let, let's mm-hmm. learn how to score because you're not going to hit it any further than you're hitting it now. Right. I mean, you know, be honestly brutal. I mean, you're 60 years old and you just ain't going to go any further than you're hitting it now. 
Now, yep. I really am going to listen to the show after your your second show because I'm quite interested in. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, I mean, there there's things that you can right. do, mind you. Don't misunderstand me. Sure. We just don't want to ignore the fact that we could start hitting it better, and we get more flexible and we get stronger. Those things are important for sure. But even with that, we we have to start looking at, well, what does all this look like? You know, we we can sit here and rant and rave about it, but but what do we? What should a student do about it? Well, first of all, I think a student we need to start looking at the new golf lesson. How how do you frame it, okay? And mm-hmm. I think the student needs to t- somewhat take control of what their goals are, okay? <clears throat> but the instructor has to help them identify those areas. And one of the things is, is that I, I use is that if a student comes to me, you know, this is kind of old school a little bit, but it, it fits. I want to determine what their goals are. What do you want to do? Right. Okay. All right. Now, what I want to know is if that's what you want to do, I want to know what the stats of your game is now. Mm-hmm. What are you doing now that's not reaching those goals? And this is what the students should do. They got a goal. I want to know how close you are. Now, based on yep. those stats compared to the goals, we need to have an action plan. How are we going to try to take our game as it exists and achieve our goals with the amount of time we have to practice? Not everybody's got all day to practice. We maybe have an hour a day, you right. know, or maybe an hour a week. So where are you going to spend your time? And it's obviously if you got a plan, you work the plan, okay? This is nothing new here. You know, you, you, you plan the work and you work your plan. Then the last part of this is important. We look at the results. Well, how close are we to our goals? Well, if we haven't reached them, then we just need to go up and repeat number one. Our goals are still the same. How close are we? And if we're not reaching them, why aren't we? And that's where you go to practice. And I'm going to bet most people, if they take that honest approach to their game, they're going to realize that they're taking way too many shots from 100 yards to the hole. That's yep. old school stuff about making short game, right? But let me, I want to point mm-hmm. something out. I did, I, you know me, I'm, I'm, I can go really <laughs> deep into the math of this thing. <laughs> Okay, you know if you if you look at it, you know how many full if you shoot ninety, how many mm-hmm. full swings you really make? If you take two putts on every hole, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean full you're swings. minus thirty. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna take. No, you're gonna make thirty six full swings. Right. Thirty thirty six. Okay. Non-full mm-hmm. swings to shoot 90? 54. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Yeah. Okay. So I'm hitting eight. I'm hitting 14 full swing drives. I'm hitting 18, really 18 second shots, possibly, because I'm counting par three. So if I hit 18 drives, 14 second shots, right, and then 12 third shots on par fives, I've really only made 36 full swings. Right. So everything else I do to shoot 90 is about the third shot and in. But I'll guarantee you that the vast majority of people that will show up at your facility or any facility tomorrow is going to spend all their time trying to figure out how to hit the 36 shots better. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. There's no question about you it. Know, I see it every day. 
So if you really, you know, for the people that are listening, if you really want to score better, you need to start focusing on the 54 shots, not the 36 shots. And then you turn that you know, 90 into 80. Right. And, and you know, the other thing, too, I think, um, Clint, is, is, is equipment, I think, is something else that uh, a lot of people – I mean, we both know that you have to – you know, you, you need to be fitted properly, I think, to play sure. at your best. Um, and you need to be playing with the equipment that is a, applicable or appropriate for um, your abilities. And I'm not talking about your abilities on the golf course, but I'm talking about your physical abilities, as, you know, Brent and I will talk about sure. later in the show. Um, right. You know, if you're up in your 50s or 60s, you're, you're, you know, you're not going to support the same muscle mass that you did in your 20s. Um, right. So, you know, why are you playing an extra stiff shaft? when maybe a, uh, you know, yeah. a, a, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, yeah, you know, we see it every day. Speed, right. And, you know, then you get the opposite effect where uh, you maybe get somebody that's playing um, too much of a flexible club and they've got a, a, a good swing speed. Um, so, you know, that's, that's important. I mean, I think the equipment has to be matched up first, Um you know, so that they've got a, a good understanding well, of what they're playing with, right? Sure. And, no, and then they've got to get out. And then they, right, and they've got to work on. And I want to just back up one more second, just and then I'll let you continue on. One of the things too, I, I want to make sure that doesn't get missed in in this segment. Um, what Clint's not saying uh, is for you not to practice uh, certainly your full swing and, and keep your ball striking ability. He's not saying never go out and practice the full swing again. But you have to allocate right. your time uh, appropriately. So if most of your shots are within those 54 shots that you just described, why are you spending 90% of your times at the driving range focusing on the 14 shots or even the 36 shots, yeah. um, as you pointed out? You're absolutely correct, and, and I appreciate you pointing that out, because one of the things we want to make perfectly clear here is that this is not an idea of ignoring being able to improve your right. ball striking. This is really right. a step beyond that of saying, look, when you've reached that point, you've got to be honest with yourself. Is that this, this okay? You can, you can tell yourself that, that your ball striking is okay, and that's where the instructor has to lend credibility to that. Hey, this is pretty mm-hmm. good. You need to, as a player or a golfer, recognize that your ball striking is okay. Now, that will give you the luxury of go, maybe spending the next week working on your short game or working on that third shot approach. And that's extremely important to, to understand without a doubt. If you look at what the tour player does, the best players in the world, and that's what we're, we're wanting to emulate is how do the best people play? They spend a lot of time maintaining their ball striking, not right. improving it, not changing their swing, but maintaining it. If you go to a tour stop and you you have, they spend a lot more time mm-hmm. pitching the ball and putting the ball because their ball striking is not going to change from golf course to golf course. Right. But the way they play that golf course and the shots they're going to hit will change, particularly in their pitching right. and their putting. So they spend a lot of time there. But they're, what I guess I'm getting to is that there comes a point to where the practice on your full swing and your ball striking needs to evolve into a maintenance program, not an improvement program, okay? Yeah. Not to say that you won't try it every now and then, let, let's do something a little different, but if you can get to a point to where you can advance the ball down the fairway and you're up around that green most of the time in two, 
you know, one shot on the par threes or two shots on the par fours, you're up around in that scoring area, then you're advancing the ball good enough to score. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're doing that. I mean, I think you have to be honest with that. I said, you know, one of the – I don't know whether he actually said this, but he's been credited with saying it. And it's one of the things I keep – I tell people all the time. You know, Bobby Jones said the secret to golf scoring is to turn three shots into two. Mm-hmm. That's the third shot. I think you're – yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right on that. Um, how, how do you you, how know, do you take – the third shot and put it on the green instead of the third shot being off the green and having to pitch again. Right. Or or not right. three putt. Turn three into two. Okay. And that's such a, a, a simple idea that gets a conversation, a very complex conversation started. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? How do you turn three into two? What I'm saying is, is the best way to turn three into two is to focus on your third shot uh, strategy. Other people will say, well, the best way to turn three into two is to hit it better. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Right. My approach to it is once you can hit it as good as I think you're going to hit it, I'm going to try to convince you to turn three into two by getting your third shot on the green every time or making that third shot putt on a par three. That's how you're going to turn three. You're going to be able to turn three into two quicker and better that way than you will spending all your time, just like you said, spending 90% of your time trying to hit it down range better. Because, well, and I think there's – Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, please. No, I'm good. Well, what I, I think that's s- what it all comes down to, that 36 shots or 54 shots to shoot 90. Where's my best chances of, of lowering those numbers? And I really can't reduce the 36 because i got to hit it at least down range twice. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't reduce those swings. I just need to be able to not have three to get it down range. I need those you know, to be what, two. What's, right. What's funny, too, with, with some of the students, and, and, I, and I think you'll understand what, where I'm going with this, uh, and, and we've talked about this as well as uh, not only on the show but off the show. Um, you know, you see a lot of times players that don't play from the appropriate tees. You know, they can hit two good Uh-oh. shots – but they're playing yeah. from the champion's tees, and they're still not reaching the green. And I'll say, why don't you move up a set of tees? I'm beginning to resemble the... that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I said, yeah. I'm, I'm in that boat now, too. Yeah, but, yeah. but you understand what I'm saying. You know, they're still right. thinking Absolutely. they're 20 years old, and they're, and they're going to you know, belt it down there. And, you know, they might hit uh, 200 yards off the tee, uh, and, you know, and, and they're stretching it to get to you know, a long par four, and I'm saying, why don't you move up to, uh, you know, and they're not able to make it in two. And I'm saying, why right. don't you move up uh, one set of tees or two, depending on, on the circumstances sure. uh, where, where they've laid them out. And, and, and play to your abilities. You know, you're not going to hit it 250 or 300 yards anymore if you were hitting it that far at one point. Um, right. And you're more, you're more apt to um, score better, which is ultimately what you want, uh, and, and set yourself up that for that third shot, you know, more appropriately than, than if you're, you know, sure. still you know, 150 yards away with your third shot. Now you're decreasing uh, your chances of making those birdies because you're too far away now. And unless right. your ball strike is, is phenomenal, 
it's just not going to happen. And you're exactly right. So there's a lot of factors involved. Um, but, yeah, let me, let me add on to what you just said. You know, when I first started playing golf, there was three sets of tees. There was the blue tees or the black tees, how it was, the white tees, right. and the red tees. Yep. Most golf courses, it was red, white, and blue, particularly where I grew up and where you're at. Everything was red, white, and blue mm-hmm. with the military. Okay? Right. Now we have blue tees, green tees, yellow tees. And who plays those tees now? The men do. Yeah. Where's the ladies' tees? They're right in the same dang place they've been forever. Yeah. Now, we've got an aging group of women playing, too. But we right. don't have a forward set of tees for the ladies. No. Okay? And so that's why I feel like we lose a lot of those ladies when they get in their mid-60s or a little older because they can't do that. They'd have to tote it up to the 150-yard marker. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big advocate. i say, look, let if you're going to give the senior men's that used to play the blue tees a yellow tee now because they can't mm-hmm. hit it far enough anymore, we need to be doing the same thing for, for a great number of our players, the women, that are also not hitting it as far as they used to. Right. You know, Because with a lot of the ladies that I work with that are just recreational players, I take them up to about the 200-yard marker. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot more fun. Okay? Yeah. But and, and not, I, you know, we're not doing that. And, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, you know, my father passed away a few years ago, but one of the greatest things I ever did was got him to play the red tees. Right. He just wasn't going to do it. That was the ladies' tees. Well, yeah. I finally convinced him. <laughs> well, I fi- he was about 80 years old, I guess. I finally convinced him, hey, let's play. I'll play with you from here. And that's right. where we began to play from. When I'd go home and play golf, when we'd play from the red tees. We both would. And we had a ball. Mm-hmm. But before that, yeah, was, I- you know, hit one, let's tote it up. Why don't you take it up and let it hit it from mine, you know? And that was embarrassing for him. So the same thing with the ladies. I think we we need to recognize the fact as golf course operators and and professionals to start. Let's start talking about having a forward tee for the ladies or the junior tees that a lot mm-hmm. of golf courses are putting in now. <clears throat> you right. know, so I think that's yeah, important yeah, to recognize. I, no, I I agree 100. percent And and I think the other thing too is you know we you touched on a little bit earlier um, and we've talked about before as well is you know about the equipment is. You know, there, there's a continual advancement of equipment out there in order to, you know, uh, certainly give the illusion of greater distance and, and greater accuracy. But the truth of the matter is, and you and I both know this, um, you know, if, if you're not able to uh, put the proper swing on any of these clubs, it doesn't matter <clears throat> what, what club you're playing. If you don't know how to hit the ball properly, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna see the results. The ones that really see um, the additional yardage off a driver or accuracy are are people that know how to play the game, that know how to hit the ball, and their ball striking is is much better. And that's not to say you're not gonna see a modest improvement um, for some of your higher handicappers, but it's certainly not gonna be. So if if that's what you're pursuing, for those of you listening to the show tonight, if you think that that's the way to pursue a better golf game. Um, Listen to this advice that Clint is talking about tonight. Save your money, and and I, 
don't go out and spend, you know, three, four hundred dollars on a new driver or, you know, one hundred and fifty dollars, you know, on a brand new wedge that's going to guarantee you more accuracy or be able to hit it easier and so forth. Uh, And and, and that's not meant to be, again, meant to be a criticism to the industry. Um, But learning how and focusing on how to play the game better and how to score better is, is going to benefit you and help to reduce your, uh, your handicap and, and reduce your scores. Um, and, and use that money, um, for something else, uh, you know, maybe working with a coach or working with uh, an instructor or, or treat yourself, uh, you know, to a, a couple of good dinners out or whatever the case is. Uh, and, and again, I'm not trying to, to, you know, um, negate uh, sales out there for, for the for the industry, but let's be honest. If we're going to be honest as as instructors in this, and and everybody that I've had on the show says the same thing, um, you know, we need to be honest with with the students. And I think that we've been kind of playing a shell game uh, in the industry for a long, long time. Um, and I think it's time that people. And this is why that this is why the stats. Uh, in the number of players has has declined over the years. It's not just a matter of time. It's the fact that it's out of frustration. People are not improving, and they just are not willing to spend the money uh, if they're but not going to get any trapped. sort of result. Yeah, exactly. I think they're getting trapped. I mean, one of the things that we talk about a good bit is let's analyze where you're going to spend your money. All right, what mm-hmm. a lot of in in players' defenses, a lot of golf courses don't have a reasonably good third shot practice area now right. some do because they, they're hitting a third shot with a hybrid but i'm not going to spend 15 dollars for a large bucket of balls and stand out there and hit sand wedges with them that's not what i want i won't feel that club flying off there and see that driver fly you know it, it's right. hard to hit you know you know wedges you know uh all afternoon uh when you're really at the driving range thinking you want to feel that you know feel that home run hit off the face of the club but, yeah. you know, if I'm going to spend $15 for a bucket of balls, I'm going to put my clothes back in my car, I'm going to go home, had not achieved a thing, maybe a little bit, but probably hadn't achieved a whole lot. You know how much they charge to use the putting green? Mm. I, I can imagine. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Not a right. thing. So now i got $10 to buy an extra couple of beers, on the, you know, before I leave. Right. Or after I get home, I should say. Don't be driving after you're drinking. But I can practice my putting for free everywhere in the world. Yeah. Okay? And I can most likely chip or pitch into that short game area if they have one for free. So where are you going to spend it? But, you know, I'm always into the idea of trying to give a person as much information about what they're trying to do to where they can convince themselves of what I'm saying is true. Because this is like teaching somebody to ride a bicycle. You can't teach them to ride a bicycle. You can help right. them learn how, but you can't experience it for them, nor can mm-hmm. you teach them how to do it. you got to stand there and watch them fall off a few times and help them <laughs> adjust to, to do it better where they can learn how to ride. So we have to kind of guide people into learning this because they, be, they have to buy in. If the if the student doesn't understand or buy into this, you're never going to convince them to do nothing but bang balls on the range. Yeah. No, no, no question and, about and, it. Yeah, and this is a really, I think, a frustration for a lot of teaching pros out there. And, and we've, you know, again, this is something we've talked about before. Right. Is you know the typical typical questions that we get. Well, I'm you know I'm slicing the ball or I'm hooking the ball or I'm topping. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. 
you know, and, and those are things that certainly need to be worked on and corrected. Yes. Um, but, you know, if, if somebody's signing up for a series of lessons and that's all that they're working on is to correct that one or two issues, then there's a problem. There's something that they're not understanding uh, or not, uh, you know, comprehending. You know, it, it shouldn't take a, a series of lessons or, um, you know, two seasons to correct the same problem. And this no, is, again, if, this if, is nothing... it do, if it does, one or two things is happening. One is that the person, the player, is not going to change the bad habit, so you might as well live with it. All right. Right. Or the second thing, the teacher is not going down the right path with them. Something's not connecting. Now, you as right. well as I have worked with some students that just, that's what they're going to do. You brought it up yep. a little while ago. Arnold Palmer, mm-hmm. Jack Nicholas, it's just, and Lee Trevino, it's just what they did. Right. Okay. In today's world, Arnold Palmer would not have been at Wake Forest. No. Ed looked at that golf swing and said, you kidding me? Yeah. But he's obviously one of the greatest players that's ever played the game. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they there was style to the way they played. We don't have style anymore. Um, and that's okay. But, you you know, people have to begin to understand what what's the purpose of any golf shot? In my opinion, the purpose of any golf shot. Do you know? Have an idea? What's, when you hit a golf shot, what's the purpose in you hitting that shot? I want to advance it down the hole, obviously. I want to make my next shot easier. Sure. That's it. I want to hit my driver in the fairway. Why? Because it'll make my next shot easier. I want to hit yeah. my next shot on the green because, well, that'll make my next shot easier. Mm-hmm. So the whole purpose of any golf shot is to make the next one easier. So if you can get to a point that says, okay, well, you got that ball down the fairway, your next shot's easier. You know, I'm beginning to see some improvement. You're getting it in the fairway more often. So you're making your next shot easier. So we've got improvement now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm now moving the ball up around the green every time where I can chip. Therefore, I've made my next shot easier. Therefore, I have improvement, right? This is right. talking to the student. All right, so we're making improvement here. So now let's go on to the next level. And one of the things that I get with people, I said, let's analyze a golf shot in its purpose on each hole. So mm-hmm. by technicality of the rule book, What's the purpose of your drive on each hole? Simply to put the ball back in play. Right. Because by the rules, once you hold out on number one, you're technically not playing golf until you tee off on number two. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of that drive is to put the ball back in play, again, to try to make your next shot easier. Your second mm-hmm. shot, advance the ball down range to a place of advantage. That's mm-hmm. the purpose of it. Again, to make your next shot easier. The third right. shot on that hole is either going to be a, a wedge or a putter generally for the you know the advancers. Fourth and fifth shot just a putt and a putt if you get them. So we want to try to make the next shot easier. And when we can recognize the fact that when I go out to play, that once I put that ball back in play, I'm beginning to see improvement of my next shot being easier, that's at the point I think I need to accept my ball striking and move on to the third shot routine in order to go from all fives to a few fours or all sixes right. to a few fives. That's the designating point for my students and yours and everybody else, if they really are honest with it. Hey, I had an easier round today. 
yeah, I still hit a few balls in the woods, and I hit a few balls off in the, in the drink. But generally speaking, most of my shots was making my next shot easier than it had been before. Right. That is a clear indication of improvement in your ball striking, so now let's go on about scoring. That's yeah, I, you know, that's the convincing side of you. The player has to recognize it himself, and I think our as a teacher, we have to give them the framework of what true improvement really is. And mm-hmm. that true improvement with the people I work with are you making your next shot easier now versus two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. If you are and you're honest about that, then that gives you that luxury of moving on past ball striking and learn how to be a player. See, you can teach somebody how to hit it better, but they got to learn to be a player. Right, and I think you know one of the things too, Clint. Just to, to sort of wrap up what what you're talking sure. about, I think I think when people see those kinds of results, people are more apt and excited to want to go out and practice and play more um, and focus on the things that we're talking about here tonight. When they're excuse me, when they're not seeing. Um, results then that that sort of sizzle if you will leaves them and they just don't feel like picking up their clubs i mean i'll give you an example i talked to a gentleman the other day and uh you know i i was uh sort of walking past his place and he happened to have his garage door open and uh i i stopped and you know said hello on that he's in, in a neighborhood i i frequent and he said uh i said i see you've got some clubs there i said uh uh, you know how often do you get out and play and he says you know i haven't played in seven years right and i asked him i said why not and he said well he said number one and he wasn't meaning this as a criticism he said you know i got married uh back a number of years ago and he said when i got married uh you know she didn't play golf sure. so i i kind of you know and that's understandable you know they had other activities sure. and that Probably and he said change. you know to be honest he's sure and but he said you know i've, I've been really itching to to get out there so i said well why don't we you know get together and and maybe go out and play some golf here in the next little bit and you know you could see he was kind of excited uh, about doing that because he's been wanting to do it Mm -hmm. but part of the problem is there's an apprehension now and there has been this is what's built up over time is because he hasn't played and he said he used to play four or five times a week Mm -hmm. but since he hasn't been playing for several years there's apprehension he's worried um, about about getting yeah he's worried about getting back Mm -hmm. out there and you know, I'm sure a lot of it will come back to him once he gets out there. Uh, you know, if he was, I don't know how good of a player he was, but if he was a decent ball striker and whatnot, he might have a few things yeah. that, that need to be worked on. But once you're a, a, a fairly decent player, um, a lot of those things will come back with a, with a little bit of work, um, a lot easier than someone yeah, who's never played a, before. A, absolutely. You, you know what I'm saying? A real, quick, a real quick story to back that up, but from a different perspective. I got married 36, let's see, 36 years ago Monday. I got married. Okay? And she had not played golf before. And I, we kind of went out, and after we got married, I was the uh, head pro at a club in Wisconsin at the time. Had a bunch of lady players, you know, full membership. And uh, she had only seen me play and all my friends that were professionals. She thought everybody played that way. Well, I finally convinced the ladies' group to make her go play. Right. And she came back in. She said, dang, they don't play any good either, do they? (laughs) And, you know, so there comes that time that everybody kind of thinks everybody plays better than they do. But they really don't. Yeah. No. You know, so 
uh, it, the listeners that we have tonight don't worry about playing bad. Hell, everybody does. Right. I mean, if Ted and I had to, to live off the good players, we'd starve to death. That's right. Um, <laughs> you know? Uh, so we all play at a level. That's why I, I'm I, I'm kind of on a crusade here. Let's get some let's get some shorter ladies tees out there. You know? And I'm right. this is what we've talked about here tonight is really more of a, almost a crusade than mm-hmm. than a hey this is what you got to do but yeah. it kind of is what you have to do you have to be honest with yourself analyze your game take a few minutes to say okay i i did hit the drive pretty good today it wasn't too bad be honest with yourself be proud of how you hit it and man, i hit some pretty good second shots but man i i chipped and putted awful that's where i'm losing my score See, you made a point a minute ago, when you start mm-hmm. hitting it a little better, it gets painfully obvious that the reason you're not scoring any better, and I'm in this situation right now, I'm I'm having a real a real slowdown in my putting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's obvious I'm still hitting X number of greens, X number of fairways, and, heck, I, my scores have gone up four or five shots around. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go out and spend time hitting balls because I'm honest with myself to know that I'm not making any four-footers and I'm not making any birdie putts. It's not about how I'm hitting Mm -hmm. it. It's how I'm finishing. Right. So what my point is, hey, folks, be honest with yourself. Get to a point, go to that instructor and ask them, look, I want you to give me an honest assessment of am I striking this ball well enough to shoot better scores than I'm shooting. And if and I think if your instructors will tell you, well, yeah, we could do this or that, but yeah, it's okay, it's not too bad. And then that student should say to that instructor, well, I want you to teach me how to lower my score. I want you to mm-hmm. teach me how to play with what I have. Mm-hmm. And I'm confident that the PGA golf professionals and the golf instructors of this world know how to do that. Sure. The students just have to ask them to help them. Because we as instructors are going to try to help our students do what they want to do. And I think the the students need to to say, look, I want to lower my score. And I need to give you, you need to give me an honest assessment of how I'm going to do that. And then go about doing it. Yeah, and, and and it all boils down to this, you know, I think when the students are having fun, when the players are out there having fun and enjoying it, um, that's usually a result of them scoring well. You don't very seldomly see players out there having a great time. They might be able to, to you know, hit a, a great drive, and they certainly have a, a, a certain amount of success and enjoyment out of that. But if the rest of their round stinks, um, they're not going to be happy when they come off of 18. Um, well, let me ask you a question. It, sure. Let me ask you a simple question to back that up. All right. What do you remember the most? The good drive on three or your score at the end of the day? Score at the end of the day for me. Absolutely. So how much enjoyment am I really getting long-lasting out of hitting a really good drive on number three and then hitting it down the fairway and three-putting and making a bogey anyway? Exactly. See, I think that the enjoyment, and you're right, the, the more fun, the, if I want to have fun, I want to be able to achieve something I can enjoy, not for that particular moment right then, but I want to go into the clubhouse, sit down and have a beer with my buddy and says, man, see that score today? Wasn't that good? Mm-hmm. They're going to remember yeah. the score too because you put it up on the board and you're going to take their money. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. and, and it goes you know? really back to 
to an old principle um, of, of success and failure. If, if you want to know how to fail, keep doing the same things, yeah. but expect a different result. Yeah, it's not so that's happen. what's that uh, stupidity or foolishness is the same right. definition. Yeah, right, exactly. And Clint, as always, uh, a pleasure talking with you on on uh, on the show. And uh, you certainly have a, a great amount of insight into the game. And uh, well, I've, you know, just yeah, <laughs> I, I keep think, doing. I, and I appreciate that. I really do. But I, I think to end it all, and then, I, and then I'll be quiet, is that you just hit on exactly what I was about to say in my little close is that if what you're doing now is not getting you improvement, do something different. Mm-hmm. Try something different. Just that idea. If you want to look at failure, same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Right. You know, get off the driving range, get out and play, even if it's nine holes. The only way you're going to learn to play this game is to get out on the playing field, not on the hitting field. Yeah. So take that time. Go out and play a few holes. Yeah, it's about finding balance. I mean, you know, you have to find some balance. And and I think, like you said earlier, if you're spending the majority of your time on the range, uh, you know, hitting your driver and that, you know, someday you've got nothing to do and you just want to go out and beat balls and just, uh, you know, see how far you can hit it. There's nothing wrong with doing that occasionally. But if that's, you know, what your practice regimen is entailing every time you go out, is to see how far you can hit the ball, then your score is never going to improve and you're not going to become a better golfer. And this, I think this is really what the crux of it is, Clint, is why so many people right. are frustrated uh, and get out of the game. Uh, you know, well, they're, they're well, just first, tired. Right. First of all, if they're doing that and that's their purpose, which is fine, just don't keep scoring. Mm-hmm. If you right. want to do that, keep scoring how many of those really good drives you hit. That's all you need to do. And, yeah. and then, therefore, there's no no score, no frustration. You just hit seven or eight really good drives a day, and I'm happy with that. If that's your objective, there's nothing, absolutely nothing <clears> wrong <throat> with going out and just ripping it, you know, gripping it and ripping it. Nothing yeah. wrong with it. But just don't keep score. Keep score a right. different way. Yeah, keep score a different way. And, Ted, well, it's been enjoyable. I know we're about to run out of time here. I'm, uh, as always, I appreciate you giving me some airtime to rant and rave about stuff that's important to both of us, I know. And I really do appreciate it. And hopefully I'll get down to see you soon. I mean, I know we've been trying to get together, and our calendars never mesh up, but hopefully we'll get down soon. And I'm certainly going to be listening to your your next guest here because I think I'm quite interested in, in that over-50 exercise program, uh, I'll promise you. Yeah, my me as well. So um, on that note, Clint, thank you very much. And for those of you tuning in, uh, Clint, how they how can they reach out to you if they want to uh, learn more really about the third easy. shot? Really, it's ClintGolf001 at yahoo.com. That's the easiest Perfect. way. Thank you, Ted. You're welcome, my friend. Have a good uh, have a good week, and uh, we'll talk soon. We'll do it. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. All right, it was my very special guest on, on Coach's Corner, very special Coach's Corner. Uh, always enjoy having uh, Clint on the show, um, just a, a great wealth of, of knowledge. And I think what he was saying earlier is, is so true, and, and throughout the, the first half of the show, I, I think that not only as, as golf professionals, I think that we have to be mindful uh, of, of really what we're teaching our students. And, and certainly there's a lot of great men and women out there in the profession that are doing a phenomenal job. We're, we're certainly not trying to criticize, but I think that we have to remember 
that we want our students to, to have fun out there. We want them to enjoy the game. And it's not all about uh, creating the perfect machine uh, on the driving range because I think that uh, a lot of people are, are, are after that perfection. Uh, and ultimately what ends up happening is they, they get disappointed out in the golf course because all of that hard work on the range uh, is not bearing fruit. And uh, ultimately uh, they, they just get frustrated and, and end up dropping out of the game. And we certainly don't want to do that. We want to continue to grow the game. And, and I think the way to do it is what Clint and I were talking about earlier uh, this evening. So uh, again, thanks to Clint Wright um, of, uh, of TGM Golf and just a, a great guy. I enjoy having him on the show. All right, I got my uh, next very special guest uh, that's joining me tonight. We're going to talk about fitness. So, Clint, uh, if you're still listening in there, um, Brett and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, golf fitness. Uh, my very special guest this evening on the second half of the show is Brett Cohen. Uh, he's a golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 authority. Uh, he's the founder of New York Golf Fitness Guru. Uh, Brett has been involved in the fitness industry for over 17 years. He specializes in working uh, with golfers and individuals over 50 and is the only trainer in New York to hold two golf fitness certifications, uh, Titleist Performance Institute and Czech Institute, as well as two fitness certifications specialing in the mature population. Uh, that would be, of course, me. Uh, Functionally Aging Institute and National Academy of Sports Medicine uh, Senior Fitness Specialist. Uh, he has a, uh, Brett has a deep passion for learning and continuously expanding his knowledge, uh, working with some of the giants in the fitness and wellness industry. So without uh, further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my very special guest tonight, Brett Cohen. Good evening, Brett. Hey, Ted. How are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a privilege. Well, thank you, and thank you for joining us on Golf Talk Live. Um, Brett, uh, just to sort of go back a little bit here, uh, my, my earlier guest, Clint, uh, on the Coach's Corner panel tonight was talking about really having an interest in, in what you've got to say here because we're both, of course, uh, I'm over 50, he's over 50, uh, and, and you really kind of specialize in that market. So just tell us a little bit about why you chose to target um, sort of that, that market, that sort of 50 and over crowd. Um, what, what specifically drew you to that area of, in, of the industry? Sure. Well, part of it is because I'm in that crowd myself. So sure. I, I'm also a bit, I'm also a baby boomer. Uh, I just turned 55 in July and I came to the fitness industry rather late. It was uh, probably a third career. Give it some thought. I started about when I was 39, uh, just mm -hmm. starting to study. And by the time I got into the industry where I was exposed to clients on a daily basis, uh, which was in what we call a big box gym environment, uh, the right. fitness managers would always hand me off the more mature population and uh, people with injuries. So that, by default, became my niche. And I've almost always exclusively worked with people uh, slightly younger than me, my age, or uh, up into the 80s. Um, right. And, and it was a, just a natural fit. Let's talk about, if we can, let's start things off, just so people understand, because there is a difference, and I want you to explain this. Um, most people, I think, understand uh, what's involved in general fitness. You know, we go to the gym, we're lifting weights, we're, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, all that kind of stuff. Um, but golf fitness is a little bit different. Tell us and explain, uh, if you can, what the difference is between golf fitness and what we uh, know to understand as general fitness. Yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, that's a common question I get whenever I meet somebody. So the ultimate goal of a golf fitness program is to make someone a better golfer. Um, 
which is greatly different from what the average person's view of general fitness is, which you described elements of that. Uh, most people mm-hmm. will associate the term fitness with someone that's slim or muscular, uh, what we often call mirror fitness, someone that just looks good in the mirror. But right. being fit for golf uh, isn't about looking good, although that may come as a result of the training process. Uh, being sure. fit for golf is about having the physical qualities that will allow you to get into the position to swing the club properly, play with consistency, and with a minimal risk of injury. What are um, – now, as we already are – established you you obviously specialize uh in in um a, an older generation if you will uh, i'm in as i said uh, in that generation as well um yeah. what are some of the priorities with working with that population what what are some of the priorities that you you tend to focus on and why sure uh, so the physical qualities that are going to allow that golfer to play better golf are flexibility, mobility, stability, balance, strength, and power. So the focus of of the program at the beginning is helping to reestablish flexibility, mobility, and stability. And that begins with uh, what I call improving tissue quality. So we use tools to massage the body's soft tissue. And it allows more extensibility or elasticity of that tissue. We're speaking of muscle and fascia. And then the next stage would be to learn how to stretch that both segmentally as an individual muscle that surrounds a joint and then um, in a pattern uh, or sometimes what people refer to as an active stretch or dynamic stretch. So mm-hmm. those are the first, after the assessment process, those are the first learning stages that uh, the golfers I work with go through. Let's let's go back just a little bit, if we can, um, Brett, and, and just maybe identify what some of the things that that a lot of golfers in that age group uh, experience. What what are some of the things like Clint and I were talking about? I don't know if you heard the earlier segment or not, but we were talking about you know uh, you know back when we were in our twenties, you know you could sort of grip it and rip it, and you had all kinds of flexibility and so forth. But obviously, as we age, our, our bodies change. So what are some of the things that some of your students that you're dealing with, um, what can they expect, obviously, when they're hitting 50? What are some things that are going to happen to their bodies um, that are going to result in, and what are some of the changes that are going to happen that are going to affect some of the things that you just talked about? All right. So the guys that I'm working with, the over 50 population, they've been sitting at a desk for decades, and, Mm -hmm. and that sedentary lifestyle changes the way the body moves. Um, it doesn't allow it to move the way it was designed, the, the way it moved when we were younger, when we were children. And uh, so the first part of what I need to do is try to reestablish those patterns because those patterns, which are bending and rotation and squatting, are the essential elements of the movement patterns that are involved in the golf swing. So the first thing I'll do is a, a movement screen the purpose of which is to identify, you know, whether or not they can move in those patterns and then um, right. how, how if they cannot, which for the most, most part they have trouble with a lot of them, how that will affect their golf swing, which, you know, will manifest in, in specific swing faults or uh, the common injuries that are common to golf, which is uh, low back and elbow pain. 
So what are some of the common things that you see, um, and I'm not referring to the injuries, but some of the common, uh, I guess, cause and effects of, of the aging process on uh, a person's golf game? What are some of the things that people will noticeably start to see um, as a result of, of um, the fitness? Uh, let's talk about what they're going to see before they get into a program with you and then what kind of results they can expect um, once they've gone through a, a fitness process. Yeah, so the process starts with, with a, that movement screen, which helps identify where they're having trouble. And mm-hmm. um, then I re- relay to them how that may affect their golf swing uh, and how it compares to what the desired objective is, which is how a professional golfer moves. So what most of them are struggling with is um, mobility of the major joints that are involved in the golf swing. So if you make it as simple as possible, golf for a right-handed golfer is rotate right, rotate left. And Mm -hmm. um, if they lack the ability to rotate through the thoracic spine, the part of the spine where the ribcage sits, through the hips or the pelvis, they're going to have a lot of trouble with rotation. <laughs> they're going to have a lot of trouble right. With, right. Uh, having a consistent golf swing. So break it down into the most simplest form, uh, that's the two areas of focus, although those aren't exclusively the only joints that need to be worked on. But if I could reestablish mobility in those two segments, uh, they're going to have a lot better time playing golf. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think, Brett, too, also something that, that I'm sure you see a lot, and, and please expand on this uh, if you choose. Um, what you'll see with, with some of the younger golfers that we see, on, for instance, on the tours, um, their posture, their spine angles and that are, are very, um, uh, well, straight, for lack of better words. And yeah. the, right. angles, the angles tend to be very um, straight with one another, whereas as uh, an older golfer you'll tend to see more rounded shoulders you'll see they're they're not able to hold the posture uh as effectively as they once did they tend to be in more of a sitting position as opposed to an athletic position and that's as a result of of what correct so it's a result of the posture they have assumed from their seated environment and which mm-hmm. uh what you're speaking of is what we call a c posture uh where the upper right. back is flexed or rounded forward. Uh, a lot of them mm-hmm. are unaware that they even have that posture. And typically what happens is they'll bring that seated posture to the golf course. And, of course, right. when you have that C-spine, um, it forces the head forward, which makes it really mm-hmm. difficult, if not impossible, to keep your head focused on the ball as you rotate your shoulder girl underneath what's supposed to be that fixed head and through the follow-through. So they tend to um, sway, one of, the, one of the reasons why a golfer may sway or slide. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have a flexed spine, upper back, you're going to have a lot of difficulty rotating to the right and rotating to the left. And it also changes, since it's part of, um, it's connected to the pelvis, it also changes how a golfer's, their ability to control their pelvis and separate the upper body from the lower body. So a golfer that right. presents with a flexed spine won't be able to generate force from the ground up, which is desired goal. They're right. going to use yeah, the upper body as the dominant driver. Yeah, and and you see that particularly with men, you see that, and they you know tend to try to work the ball with with upper body strength, which is really not uh, conducive to a good golf swing. Now, 
one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, Brett, is, and it goes back really to the first question about the difference between fitness and, and golf fitness. Um, you know, a lot of golfers go to the gym that maybe have done a, a traditional fitness program, uh, you know, focus on more, especially for the men. I'm going to, I'm going to single out the men on, on this particular one yeah, uh, question sure. for the moment, um, are, are more focused on, on, you know, upper body strength and weightlifting and things like that, but that's not necessarily, um, the best thing to, to, to help your golf swing. What are some of the do's and don'ts? So what are some of the things that really not, that if, if somebody wants to help their golf game, that's maybe in that 50 and over crowd, um, what are some exercises that they should stay away from? Or, fit, or part of their fitness program, and what do you recommend um, to, to get the best um, results? Yeah, so the, the average male, of course, uh, and you're aware of this, if they go to the gym on their own, and even with a lot of trained professionals, the program begins with strength, which right. is an inappropriate place to begin, especially for the mature male, especially for the mature male golfer. Uh, it's not for lack of strength that they're having trouble hitting the ball where they want to be, or they want to hit the ball. It's uh, it's lack of flexibility, mobility, and stability, and the ability to move into the patterns that are required for golf, which is for the most part we're, we're going to refer to the bend pattern and the rotation pattern. So mm-hmm. the first thing is avoid strength training at the beginning of a program, whether you're working with a professional or you're on your own. And if you do, you don't want to do exercises that are typically thought of as muscle-building exercises or bodybuilding exercises or muscle isolation exercises. So most gyms are littered with what I call a fixed-access machine, uh, mm-hmm. something you sit down in and uh, perform a single-joint motion, let's say a chest press or a bicep curl. It's completely right. irrelevant to how you're going to perform as a golfer. In fact, it in right. fact will detract from performance because it's only building size and strength in a specific muscle. It has nothing to do with the patterns that are involved in the golf swing. So that would what be the first some thing of, to avoid. <laughs> right, right. Well, and that's what I was getting at. You know, uh, especially, uh, you know, I, I understand it in, in, uh, in the male side of things because I think that we're sort of programmed from a very early age that, you know, to, to build muscle mass and to, to, you know, to get a little bit bigger and that uh, is, a, is a sign of strength. And there's a certain, you know, acceptability to that to a level. But I think uh, in order to be able to play good golf, which is what we're talking about here tonight, you don't want to build a lot of muscle mass. You don't see a lot of bodybuilders out on the PGA Tour. Right. Right. No. No muscle mass. And there's a reason yeah, for that. Not desired. Yeah, there's a reason for that. It doesn't mean you have to avoid strength training. There is certainly a sure. place for that. Uh, and you know, 22 out of the top 30 male golfers on the PGA Tour have a title as uh, professional on their team, and you know, Rory is doing strength training. Uh, sure. Some controversy whether he's doing the right kind of strength training or not, but that's not for this conversation. But right. what strength training allows you to do, if you already have an established movement pattern, it it gives you a functional reserve and it helps protect you from injury and it will create more power. But you don't want to add those elements on until you have movement patterns that are clean, that are proficient. So Otherwise, if I was coming just, to you... Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Right. Right. If I was coming to you then, um, 
what would you what would be sort of the first step uh, in the process? Uh, an assessment. The first step uh, after an interview and a health history screen uh, would be a movement screen. Right. The purpose of that physical screen is to identify the possible risk factors. Uh, again, that are specific to the sport and/or uh, may cause a swing fault. Right. So they look at joints by themselves and in patterns of movement. So that's the first step is to do a 17-point movement screen related to the game of golf. Mm-hmm. And then where do we go from there? Once you've identified some of the areas that, that potentially could affect uh, my golf game, then what do you do then? You sort of put together a plan to focus on those areas of weakness um, or, or where do you go yeah, from they, there? What's the next step? Right. So they are prioritized. Uh, I go over the findings <clears throat> of the assessment with the golfer. They get a report in writing, and then we speak about it orally. And I need them to kind of uh, be educated so that they have a better understanding of what we're trying to accomplish in the session. Because as you mentioned before, from a very young age, we think that the first thing we need to do is get stronger. <clears throat> So right. some of them that may not be uh, <clears throat> as savvy think, well, the first thing we're going to do is hit the weights when we get into the gym, um, and that's not the case. Um, in fact, most of the golfers that are coming to me these days or finding me are aware, they've done some research and are aware that they need improved flexibility and mobility. They've, they've actually identified those terms, uh, whether they know exactly what they mean or not, not so sure, but they don't say I need mm. to get stronger for golf. They they know that their bodies don't move well, um, and they need to move better to play better. Right. So that's the first. What step. are your th- first step? Right. What are your thought? Um, let me just ask you sort of a side question here. Um, what do you think about um, yoga as an example? I mean, I've had a number of guests on here who um, obviously practice yoga and, and do yoga as part of their training. Uh, and work with a lot of top golfers in that. Um, what is your experience, yeah. if any, uh, in, in that area, and, and what are your thoughts uh, as far as yoga being um, good for or conducive for, for good golf? Um, I think it can be a valuable asset to a golfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an, a lot of experience with yoga myself. I started taking yoga back in 2007, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And it helped, it helped me a lot in fitness because... Um, even though yoga is ancient, a lot of the movements are patterns. And so it helps right. me understand how the body moves better. Uh, mm-hmm. But in and of itself, it's not the end all because the limitation to yoga are, is really the, the first <clears throat> few elements of the fitness paradigm. What I mean by that, it, it will help with flexibility and mobility and will help mm-hmm. with balance. But once you get past those stages, um, that's the end because you're never challenging yourself with any external right. resistance. So the true strength and power has to come from an outside source. But it is right. helpful uh, as an, uh, you know, in addition to a golfer's program. Okay. So what's involved in a, in a, in a golf training program? What are some of the, the, the elements? Um, obviously, you're focusing on the stability and the mobility and, and flexibility. But what are some, I mean, I know it's very difficult because you can't physically show 
um, yeah. maybe some of the routines, but can you give us a, a general idea? And, and of course, I'll give you an opportunity, um, uh, you know, if you have a website or something that we can direct people to that yeah. may be able to get a more physical uh, idea of what we're talking about. But just generally give us an idea of what some of the things are um, for each category. Let's say flexibility. What are some of the things? Is it, you know, a stretching type program? And then go from there to mobility and, and um, uh, stability. Sure. So, the physical part starts with the tissue quality, which I spoke about earlier, which is uh, massaging the soft tissue that surrounds a joint before we even get to the stretching. Um, and mm-hmm. then the stretching starts with what I'll call segmental stretching. So, for instance, if someone presents with that C posture we spoke about earlier, uh, it's almost always going to be muscles in the front. It always is. Uh, in the front of mm-hmm. the body, the chest, the pec, pec major, some pec minor, muscles in the neck that are going to be short and tight that alter the position mm-hmm. of the joints. So I need to teach the golfer how to stretch those short, tight muscles. That's the mm-hmm. beginning of getting the body back in balance. Um, then once they learn that routine, we're going to add on uh, a series of joint mobility exercises focusing on all the major joints in the body that need to be mobile. And in golf, it's every joint that is designed to be mobile. So that starts with the big toe, the ankle, uh, the hip, the thoracic spine, and the shoulders, and even the wrists. Sometimes a golfer won't have enough flexibility in their wrist or mobility in their wrist to hold the golf club correctly. So there's literally a drill, uh, an exercise for each one of those joints. Uh, the next is to take that new flexibility, new mobility, and work it into a range of motion or into a pattern that is part mm-hmm. of the golf swing. So we're going to teach them how to bend. We have to go through a progression to get them to be able to touch their toes, to be able to get into a deep squat, uh, both without and with their arms overhead. So they need to be able to be mobile enough to get their arms overhead, the essential part of the golf swing. Uh, right. And then once I have that, I'm going to move on to establishing stability. And the stability is essential at the shoulders and the hips and everything in between, which is commonly referred to as the core, because that's where the limbs mm-hmm. attach to. So there's a saying uh, that a famous strength conditioning specialist uh, used that you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. So if you want to hit the ball right. far, you're going to have to have a stable <laughs> platform from which to hit the ball from. Um, and oftentimes, you know, uh, the guys that I'm working with, do not have a strong core. That's everything from the glutes to the top of the shoulders. So then we're Mm -hmm. working on series of exercises that strengthen those parts individually and then as a unit. And that all happens before we add load, before we get to picking up weights, um, which is the next step. And once we've established those good movement patterns through those previous Mm -hmm. steps I just mentioned, then we're going to add load to those patterns and ingrain those, those patterns into the brain, into the nervous system. Hmm. Now let me ask you um, a question here about uh, tempo and, and, and timing. Obviously, every golfer has a different uh, tempo in their swing. For instance, um, uh, if we go back a, a number of years ago, somebody like Nick Price had a very quick uh, tempo in his swing. Uh, conversely, somebody like a Freddie Couples or an Ernie Els that's a little bit more smooth and silk, uh, silky swing, very slow and methodical in their swing, particularly Ernie Els. Um, are you able to, to help identify uh, somebody's natural 
uh, rhythm pattern, if you will, through some of the, uh, the procedures that you do and some of the techniques that you're using. And, and I'll give you a reason why I'm asking this is obviously there's some golfers that have a very fast swing and others, as I mentioned, like an Ernie Els type that have a little bit so, um, slower or certainly on the surface appears to be a slower swing, yet his swing speed has been, been clocked very fast, but it doesn't look fast. Yeah. So are you able through some of the processes that you do um, help people stay with swing? In other words, swing within themselves and not, you know, swing and so they're falling out of their, they're pulling themselves out of their shoes. If you understand what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and there's a couple of uh, elements to answer that question. So one, I don't concern myself so much with the tempo because I'm not the golf pro. Sure. I, I allow, I allow the golf pro to dictate that part. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as you mentioned, you know, as a professional golfer, there, there are many different styles, but they all mm-hmm. have the same sequence. So my right. primary ob- objective is to get that golfer to be able to hit the ball in, in, from the downswing in the correct sequence, which is going to be hips, torso, arms, club, you know, and into the ball. Um, right. The tempo at which they do it is irrelevant to me. I allow their golf pro to work on that part because if I could get them to hit the ball in the right sequence, uh, the pro will figure out what tempo works best for them. Sometimes though, a golfer is going to have, no matter how much work we do in the gym, there's going to be a physical limitation and they're not going to be able to get into a full backswing. And if they try Mm -hmm. too hard, which the brain tells them they need to get their arms up, their arms up and they physically can't, some other part of the body will move in compensation that they may not even know about, which is typically Mm -hmm. lifting the body up out of posture, what we call early extension, getting the hips to move forward towards the ball too soon, swaying laterally away from the target line. Um, So they just need to shorten their swing. And if they shorten their swing and they use the correct down swing sequence, they have plenty of power. They're very happy power they have as long as they know where the ball is going to go. It's the golfers that try to over overcompensate for their ability and wind up using their upper body that's that's when we get into trouble how important is um good nutrition um you obviously you coach uh, people on that end as well do you i do i have a background as a nutrition and lifestyle coach from the czech institute and so i'm very aware of how important nutrition and lifestyle is to a successful exercise program and to any athlete's performance. So um, I do drill in the foundation, uh, foundation principles of health, which is hydration. Uh, we go mm-hmm. into uh, the timing of nutrition, the importance of starting the day with breakfast, what kind of snacks they should bring out onto the golf course. A lot of times they don't even think about that. Um, proper rest and recovery strategies and um, even getting breathing involved because mm-hmm. everything starts with the breath. So those are the foundation <clears throat> principles of health that, that I talk about. Um, I don't draw them a specific nutrition right. plan. We go over the principles. I give them guidance and then hopefully as grown men, they, they follow my advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Hope, hope and wish are, are hand in hand. Yeah. Um, Brett, let me ask, yeah. let me ask you this. Just, I, I just want to stick on nutrition just for a second. Um, I, I know you don't want to get necessarily specifically because obviously everybody's body uh, is different and, and um, you know, there has to be a certain amount of personal uh, um, 
responsibility for that as well. But mm-hmm. um, you've obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, have seen people out in the golf course, you know, just putting things in their body that are just not going to help them. They're not going to maintain uh, good uh, energy levels throughout the round. I mean, 18 holes is a lot, even if you're driving a, a golf cart it's a long time. Uh, you know, you're talking about several yeah. hours, maybe out in the heat. And, and uh, if you're here, especially here in the South or even up in the Northeast during the summer months, it can get quite warm. So obviously you want to keep, as you said, hydrating that, but um, just to give maybe some examples of, of what they should be doing, obviously they want to start with a good breakfast. Give us an idea of what you would recommend um, for yourself, let's say as a good breakfast to start the day off and then uh, maybe some things that they can do uh, pre round and post round uh, and during the round that, uh, can help maintain yeah. those good energy levels. In fact, I just sent my golfers a blog on uh, the perfect breakfast, um, because the feedback I get from a lot of them and they're all busy men is they don't have time for breakfast. And, uh, right. Of course, that's a big mistake for anybody, uh, especially sure. if you're trying to lose, lose weight. Um, and then sometimes if they do eat breakfast, it's typically a breakfast based in carbohydrates and most often, you know, breakfast foods tend to be simple carbohydrates. So they think they may be doing themselves some good <clears throat> by having a cereal or a bagel, uh, but in fact, that may be doing more damage uh, than good. So I encourage them to have uh, a balanced breakfast, which can consists of carbs, protein, and fats, uh, more, more fats and protein than carbs, um, which is a bit of a challenge for some of them. But that's my breakfast tends to be eggs, avocado, um, free-range meats, and uh, organic coffee when I can get it. And, wa- um, and now water, what about, uh, of course. Right. Now, when they get to the golf course, um, you know, Jack Nicholas in, in his uh, famous video, Golf My Way, talked about packing some snacks, a sandwich, and things. And obviously, I'm, I mean, we have a much better understanding of nutrition in today's uh, day than, than when he originally shot that video. But And, and that's not a criticism yeah. to what Jack uh, had in there, but I think he had like a banana and and uh, I forget now what sandwich. I think it was like a, a chicken sandwich or something like that. So he had some protein. Um, but what should yeah. a golfer, um, you know, that maybe doesn't want to actually pack a lunch that maybe wants to get some, or some, are there some things at the golf course that he should look for or he or she should look for to um, keep them going throughout the round or, or if they can bring something, if they want to go to that route, uh, what are some good suggestions that you could give uh, the listeners out there to bring um, to help yeah. maintain those good well, if you're Go going ahead. to bring it, uh, ideally you would pack your snack, and you use that term. Uh, and sure. Probably the best thing to pack would be um, some some nuts and a little bit of dried fruit. Not too much because dried fruit is pretty high in sugar. But the nuts right, right. provide fat and protein to help slow that digestion down. So it's best if you could package it yourself, which takes just a few minutes, and buy those things separately. Sure. Uh, there are... Uh, pre-packaged foods out there that are acceptable. You have to look for mm-hmm. things that, uh, again, are providing a good balance. Uh, I, I look at labels to make sure that it's a, not a genetically modified food. So we're getting mm-hmm. into now the importance of organics, not just to pick up any bar off the shelf. Um, right. And uh, so I do give those kind of tips to, to the golfers as well. Uh, if, if they don't want a package, they could buy certain bars off the shelf that will stay with them out, outdoors. Right. The reason why I ask that, Brett, is you know, 
obviously in, in my generation and, and, and yours growing up and that we, you know, can sort of, for those that have been out in the golf course any length of time, understand this when I say this, but, you know, we always see the, you know, the cart girl uh, coming around or, or at the turn, there might be a snack bar or something. A lot of times people are loading up on things like a hot dog or a chili dog or, or something mm. uh, that's, you know, just loaded with all the things that you don't want to have. Those are obviously right. not, I mean, they might taste good at the time going in, but uh, for some, but really those are not good things that you would recommend for, for somebody that wants to get the best no. out of their golf. No, certainly the, the foods you mentioned are high, high in sodium. Uh, they will make you thirsty, even though they taste good going down. Uh, they're going to be tough to digest, especially a hot dog or a chili dog as you're playing golf. Sure. And, uh, right. uh, yeah. So no, I would definitely stay away from those things. And of course, uh, kind of obvious, but you want to stay away from alcohol while you're playing golf as well. Anything that sure. that you know is going to take a while to digest will contribute to dehydration, which ultimately will reduce performance. And so if you're out there and you want to have a good score, those things are important. If you're just there to have fun with your buddies, and it's, maybe that's not so important. But I know the golfers that I work with, they're passionate about golf. They want to have a good day out. They want to have a good score. Yeah, and and you're you're exactly right, and and that's why I wanted to point that out. And and it's again, you know, everybody has to do what they feel is best for them. But uh, you know, uh, uh, you see this quite often out in the golf course. Uh, you know, people coming in about you know hole twelve or or so, and they're they're already starting to get a little lethargic, um, maybe hole thirteen, and it's mm-hmm. you know they've maybe had a couple of uh, you know beers uh, early on, and or that you know they've eaten a hot dog or something that's not giving them much energy. Uh, or difficult to, to digest, as you suggested. And, you know, the, the sort of leth, um, lethargic look on their face, and they just don't have the energy to carry out their round. So, you know, the last four or five holes, they just don't play very well. And it doesn't matter what their golf ability is, they just don't have the energy level. So obviously nutrition is important, um, a component of, of your fitness routine. Let's talk about seasons. Um, obviously, up in the Northeast, you're in New York, and I'm here in Florida, so I have a pretty easy all year round it's pretty warm down here but up in new york uh things are getting a little going to be getting a little bit cooler here very quickly and right now you're enjoying yeah. some um color, color change i'm sure with the fall but um let's talk about the differences between uh in season and off season training uh is there a difference and, and if so what are some of the differences yeah so uh, with the pros you know they don't really have an off season anymore they're just chasing the sun right. playing tournaments all over the world um so they need to stay in shape all the time and they have you know, a full step to help them stay strong and injury-free. Uh, for the average mm-hmm. golfer that I'm working with, uh, their priorities should change. Uh, they're spending, they're going to spend more time in the gym and less time outside playing golf. In fact, a lot of them have to sacrifice a session a week because they're going to be out on the golf course Friday through Sunday. Um, so the right. first thing is, is actually to start once, once winter hits, you know, once we get to Thanksgiving season, it's to start with a reassessment, a reevaluation of where their body is at, um, yep. what their goals are for the following season, and to give us a guideline as to what we're trying to accomplish over the winter months. Um, it may need, we may need to continue to work on improving a movement pattern that they're having trouble with. But if, if they're not, so for instance, we have clearance, uh, then we're going to spend that four-month period, that that microcycle or macrocycle, that four month period working on strength, balance and power. So and conditioning mm-hmm. as well. 
so that uh, when they go back to play golf in the spring, they hit the ground running. Now it's just about a matter of, you know, practicing again, or sometimes they've been practicing during the winter at a, at a range. Maybe they've gone right. on a couple of golf vacations. But uh, you want to give them the foundation they're going to need to start the spring off feeling good rather than have to try to catch up as you go, which is really a challenge, especially with for an over 50 male. Yeah. And that, and that's something that, that we deal with as instructors for, for myself and, and obviously my, my guest earlier, Clint, uh, we're here of course in the Southeast, he's up in the, in the Carolinas and I'm down here in Florida. So, you know, we pretty much have golf all year round. So that's not really as much of a big issue, but up in the Northeast particularly, and, and, you know, uh, even further up in Canada, uh, that maybe don't have uh, a, an overly long season, uh, hibernation and uh, and some good hockey tends to be about what they do in the winter months. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're not they're not doing a lot of things they should be. So um, obviously, as you're pointing out, that's very important to be able to do something through the winter months to keep yourself uh, not only in shape, uh, but, but ready, if you will, golf ready, as I would put it. Um, so that yeah. when spring comes, you're not you're not playing, you know, four or five or, or six months catch up, correct? Correct. It's like, it's like that with any athlete, but um, I think it's more important for a middle-aged man who's, you know, becoming a weekend golfer for four months out of the year. Uh, it, it's not only unexpected, but literally impossible to hibernate all winter long and then go out and sure. perform the way they want to. Um, it's just unrealistic expectations. So uh, that's really the guys that I'm looking for <laughs> is – people who want to have a good golf season and realize that they need to put the time and effort in the gym over the winter, Mm -hmm. like uh, any other seasonal athlete, uh, to prepare their body for the game of golf. Right. Let me ask, not just the game. Right. Right. Exactly. Let me ask you, um, let's sort of for a few moments here, let's bring the ladies into the fold. Um, Obviously there, there's, obvious physical differences between men and women, but women tend to be, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but tend to be naturally a little more flexible than uh, their male counterparts. What are some of the, uh, are there differences between some of the trainings that, that you're doing with the men as opposed to the women? Uh, and if so, what are some of the differences that you, that you find, like some of the challenges for women um, in, in, in some of the programs that you, that you offer? So you're correct, and especially when women are younger, they're going to uh, have a more mobility and flexibility, and sometimes that could be a detriment. If you've, I'm sure you've looked at hundreds, if not thousands, sure. of golf swings, and a female yeah. golfer can over-rotate, which uh, makes mm-hmm. it harder to control exactly where the club's going to go. Um, so mm-hmm. too much range of motion is not necessarily a good thing, and the only way to correct too much range of motion is with strength. So you actually have to go the opposite direction. The males, for the most part, and this is just, uh, you know, by and large what you see, are going to need sure. flexibility mobility, whereas the female, for the most part, are going to need strength. Uh, and that right. provides joint integrity and gives them a better platform to hit the ball with. All right? So they have proportionally much better lower body strength. Uh, that's their advantage. <coughs> but you're, you still want to get stronger in the lower mm-hmm. body and in the upper body as well. Yeah. The reason why I mentioned that too, is I can think of, uh, um, one of the female professionals, uh, Annika Sorenstam, uh, got into a, a much more regimented, 
uh, physical training program. Obviously, you know, being female, she was very flexible to begin with. Mm-hmm. But um, some of the younger uh, PGA or uh, excuse me, LPGA players that you see out there now are getting much more physically fit um, and doing that. And I imagine that's to help combat a little bit of the the over flexibility. Would that would that be a pretty good assessment? You think? Yeah, well, that's part of it. It's going to be uh, on an individual basis, but over, uh, right. being too mobile, being too flexible is going to be an issue that's more common to the female. And and then if it's corrected or if it's not there at all, then having a good quality total body strength training program that uses functional movement is only going to make them a better golfer. So uh, you see you know, someone like Michelle Wee swinging a kettlebell around. Sure. Uh, that's going to make her a better golfer. That's going to give her an edge over her competition. But nowadays at the pro level, they're all doing that. I mean, um, they right. realize that to compete against other pros, they need to be not just have good skill, but they need to be strong and be injured. Yeah, they've got it. Right. They've got to step up their game as well. Um, what about some yeah. success stories? I'm sure you've, you've had many. Uh, maybe can you share one or two with us? Sure. Uh, luckily, uh, I have a lot, and uh, and they keep coming. So um, there's a bunch. One that I'm most proud of is uh, the oldest golfer I work with. His name is Hank. He's an 80-year-old golfer now, mm-hmm. and he's been golfing for, uh, I think, 60 years. He came to me when wow. he was 78. His goal was to bring his game back to where it was 10 years prior. And, uh, you know, he felt that he was losing power in his game, and, and that's what happens as we age. We tend to lose power much faster than strength um, <clears throat> at that stage in life. So, fortunately, through the program that we worked on, within the first three months of the Fit for Golf program that he was on, he was able to shoot a 77 and a 78 twice in that first season, which was wow. his age or below. And, of course... Mm-hmm. He was ecstatic about that because that's, that's hard to do at any age. Um, right. So that's at uh, the the oldest end of the spectrum. And then at the youngest end, uh, I have a golfer named Ken who's just turned 44, who is very new to golf. He's been golfing for three years now. Um, very passionate golfer, takes a lesson with a pro every week. And we were able to get rid of some of the nagging is, uh, injury issues he had, uh, a right, right knee, a left shoulder. And through, he has excellent movement patterns, and through strength training, he was able to increase his club head speed this season from 96.5 to over 106, which has increased his driving wow. distance from an average of uh, from 240 to <clears throat> um, his longest drive used to be 240 with an average of 225, and now he's averaging 245 and hitting a drive as far as 270 to 280 yards. Wow, that's phenomenal. That, yeah, that's incredible. Um, yeah, that, that's those are some great examples. Um, Brett, I, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to give you an opportunity to um, share with the folks where they can reach out to you if they're interested in, in learning more about what you have to offer. So do you have a website or uh, some general information that you can give out that uh, the listeners can uh, yeah. can go and visit? Yeah, most Please definitely. Share it with so us. I, I work in um, in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and so the golfers that I work with either live or uh, work here in New York City, and we train sure. at a gym in Midtown, 
or sometimes in the, in the gym in the building where they live. And uh, anyone that's interested in learning more about the program, the Fit for Golf program can contact me through my website, which is www.newyorknygolffitnessguru.com. Very good. Now, what about people that maybe are not in that area? Obviously, they can go and check out the website, and maybe uh, I'm sure you've got some. You mentioned a blog, and that you probably got some good tips and things like that. Do you also work with um, individuals that maybe are coming up to that area for a short period? Obviously, if they're coming up for a, a weekend, it may not be conducive for you. But um, yeah. are, do you have some flexibility if somebody was coming up for a longer period of time? Um, is there something that you can you can do, or maybe even in a a, a, um, a short session, uh, get them in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's one golfer I've been working with for three seasons now, who just sees me four months out of the year. He's a snowbird, uh, mm-hmm. a Phoenix resident during the winter time, and um, so we work together while he's here in the summer months. Someone that's right. here for a shorter term than that, even if it's just a week, a week or a weekend, really all I will be able to do is give them some guidance, some direction. And I could do sure. a physical screen, which mm-hmm. would give me the information I need to put a report together, which I will share with them, of course. And then right. if they wanted to continue on that journey, um, I could refer them to another TPI trained professional where they live. In their in their area. In well, that's, region, that's yeah. good. Yeah, that's good. Um, so what's, uh, what's next for you uh, as a golf fitness trainer? What have you got uh, in the works? Well, I'm excited to say I'm headed out to uh, New Orleans in a few weeks to the golf, World Golf Fitness Summit. Oh, okay. Which takes place uh, every other year, and uh, that will feature some of the best minds in, in golf fitness and uh, in conditioning in the world. It's uh, sponsored by the Titleist Performance Institute. So I'm going to get mm-hmm. to see a lot of teachers that I've learned from over the years. That's coming up uh, October 17th through 19th. Um, and then when I return from that, I'm planning on working on a book. That's, that's going to be oh, wow. a big project, but that's, that's the next step is to, uh, to put what I know into a book. And obviously this is going to be uh... – is it going to be geared primarily around uh, golf fitness specific, or is it going to be fitness in general? No, this one is about golf fitness. I do have uh, another book in mind for the general fitness population over 50, but this mm-hmm. one uh, that we're talking about is specific to golf, yeah, the golf fitness. Perfect. Well, um, Brett, I know you've got uh, some time to, to put that together and just keep this in mind for, for future uh, when you're ready to to launch that book, um, by all means, reach out to me and I'll have you come back on and we can promote the book here on the show. Um, but I also want to, yeah, I would love to have you come back on. And, and um, of course, I want a, a copy so I can get into some of the fitness myself since I'm not going to be up in New York <laughs> sure. to work with you. But um, but the other thing I want to do, uh, Brett, and I'll, and I'll put this out here now uh, before we wrap up, but um, I would love to invite you back on in addition to that, at some point, we'll, we'll talk at a later point. Um, but I think it would be kind of fun to have you as, as if you, again, I don't know if you listened to any of the earlier part of the show, but I have a segment that comes on before my uh, traditional uh, guests uh, called Coach's Corner. And I think mm-hmm. it would be fun to have somebody of your caliber um, that's not, quote unquote, a golf instructor 
uh, in the mix as well. So I would like to invite you to maybe participate uh, in a Coach's Corner segment uh, with some of the golf professionals that uh, that I have uh, coming on here. And uh, they may have some specific questions that may pertain to uh, some students or themselves, like Clint uh, talked about earlier. He obviously wanted to listen to the segment uh, here, uh, this, uh, the second segment with you on, uh, to get some ideas for himself. So um, I would love to extend, and again, I'll, I'll reach out to you afterwards uh, to set that up, but I would love if, if you're interested and can spare the time uh, to come on a Coach's Corner segment with some of the professionals and, and, uh, and add your, uh, your side of things in the mix. Yeah, I would absolutely love that. I did, uh, just so you know, I did listen to some of your other podcasts and listen to the coaches talk about, um, you know, how they go about training their golfers uh, or teaching them how to play golf. And it would be great to have a conversation that involves both uh, the golf pro side and the golf fitness side because we're seeing things slightly differently from a different angle. So I'd love to participate in that. Okay, well, I will I will uh, reach out to you um, uh at some point in the near future, and we'll we'll set that up when it's convenient for you, uh, and get right. you on uh, one of the the panel discussions. I think it would be a good idea as well to to get sort of both perspectives, um, and that's one of the things I try to do with the show. Um, Brett, I want to I want to thank you for reaching out. Um, you know, we've we've connected obviously through social media initially, how many of my guests and I do, and I want to mm-hmm. thank you for doing that. It, it's been a pleasure having you on the show tonight, and I learned obviously quite a bit listening to. Uh, your answers in that and I'm going to as as I said as I'm creeping up uh, in age myself I need to uh, to obviously refocus and and reevaluate what I want to do as far as um, fitness and things like that so you've given me some good information and I'm definitely going to visit your website uh, as well after the show but uh, but thank you very much for coming on you're you're welcome to come back anytime uh, whether it be a book or you have some other things to share and as I said I'm going to have you on a coach's corner uh, panel discussion as well here in the near future so uh, but in the meantime, thank you very much for reaching out and uh, being a guest on Golf Talk Live. And thank you for having me, Ted. I appreciate. It. Thanks. Keep. Uh, you're welcome. Keep doing the great work. And uh, and uh, as I said, I'll be in touch, and we'll get you back on the show again. Very good. Looking forward to it. All right. Have a good night. All right. You have a great. Yeah. You have a good night. All right. Bye bye. All right. That was my very special guest, uh, Brett Cohen. He's the uh, golf fitness instructor and. Uh, particularly a fitness uh, over 50 authority uh, up in the New York area, as he mentioned. Uh, you can reach him at uh, nygolffitnessguru.com is his website. Uh, he's been in the industry for, um, well, he's pushing up 20 years now, not far from that, uh, and specialized in working with uh, golfers and individuals over 50. And uh, a lot of great uh, great suggestions, and I'm certainly going to follow suit, uh, as as I'm sure Clint, if he's listening, uh, we'll get some good tips in that. But uh, thank you, Brett, very much for uh, for coming on the show tonight uh, again. And thank you, Clint, as always, uh, for adding your thoughts and inputs uh, into the show. I appreciate it very much. And uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in each and every week. Uh, I certainly have a great amount of pleasure, and it's an honor uh, to have some great people on the show, but it's also uh, an honor to have you guys uh, tuning in each and every week. And uh, feel free to reach out to me personally, my email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. If you have uh, an idea for a topic you'd like for me to have on the show, or maybe you uh, work with a great uh, PGA or LPGA professional uh, or another golf instructor in your area that you think would uh, would be a great uh, addition to come on the show, um, by all means, send me that information or reach uh, out to them and say, hey, I- I'd like you to-, to maybe have an opportunity to come on the show. I'd love to hear 
uh, you share some of your thoughts and, and expertise on uh, on Ted's program, Golf Talk Live. So by all means, I'm, uh, I'm sending the invitation out there as we get ready to wind down uh, another season. I uh, uh, would love to uh, to have uh, you reach out to me and and uh, and share your thoughts and expertise with my audience. Uh, any professionals out there, or maybe you've, uh, as Brett is getting ready to do here shortly, if you're uh, in the process or if you've already written a great golf book that you'd like to share with the audience, I'm always, uh, as anyone that's been on the program will tell you, uh, always happy to share uh, that information with my audience. Uh, it's a great way to network and get out there. So by all means, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. And again, my email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, or maybe if you're operating a golf business other than in the teaching side or maybe uh, a different area, uh, uh, maybe in golf fitness, such as uh, my special guest Brett Cohen was tonight, uh, again, please feel free to reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Thanks to all the fans out there. Uh, keep all your great uh, uh, comments and, and great uh, thoughts and ideas coming f- uh, through. I appreciate that. And thank you to all the support uh, on all levels of social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and LinkedIn, thank you for reaching out to me and expressing uh, your your gratitude for for me continuing to do this program and also uh, your your uh, support. I appreciate it very much, uh, more than you realize. And I'm going to keep continuing to work on developing uh, this show to make it even better for for 2017. So thank you very much, everybody. Have a great weekend, um, and uh, we will continue to uh, enjoy the great memories of one of the true legends of the game, uh, Mr. Arnold Palmer. Uh, very sad, as I mentioned, as Clint and I talked about earlier in the show, very sad that we've lost him uh, here in the last few days. But uh, his memory will continue to live on, and uh, I'm sure there will be many, many more great stories that will be revealed uh, as time goes on. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. God bless, and I will see you next, next time uh, on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, everybody. God bless.